Welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode 92. My name is Kurt Thielen, and uh, we, I'm going to be talking a little bit about our devotion to God and how we can have that devotion in every season of life. Hey guys, and I'm Todd Arnett, and I'm going to talk today about the rightful need that people who are single have for community in Jesus' church. Todd, it's great having you here today. Uh, it's been a, such an interesting series uh, working through uh, biblical sexuality, and I know there's been a lot of conversations, and it's going to be good to just walk through some things uh, together today that we haven't had a chance to cover on the weekend. Yeah. I know one of them is, you know, we look at Genesis and we see uh, God's design for marriage and all that it entails. Uh, what does that mean for sex for a single person, though? Because we've looked at sexuality from a married point of view. What's that mean for a single person? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I was realizing when we were putting together last week's message that as much as God wants us and has clearly communicated his design for sexuality within the covenant relationship of marriage, it seems as though singleness is the backside of that coin. And to not talk about it is just to say, and here's God's design for sex. And what about everyone else? Mm -hmm. Uh, who is outside of that marriage relationship. So that was kind of the impetus to want to have this conversation today and to follow up on, a ish, on an issue that's really important, but we just didn't have time for on the weekend. And I think it comes down to this. We said it this weekend that in a world, in a culture today where nobody can tell anybody something's right or wrong, when nobody can say that approach or that lifestyle or that decision or that behavior is outside of any kind of design at all, then we're living in a just fast and furious culture where everything goes. And yet when we look at the biblical design we looked at this week, we realized, wow, what a different message, right? What a different message related to not just God's design, but God's goodness for a husband and a wife to have this unique kind of intimacy and connection, this ability to procreate and have children at some point for most couples, for the ability to um, have this uh, just unique bonding that happens psychologically well beyond physically what we might enjoy. And, and to see that and say that is it, that is God's design for sexuality. And that means any and everything aside from that is outside of his design so it's incredibly narrow a in a world that says everything goes yeah. goes and no no limits so we say that in advance we realize very countercultural, but this is directly from god's word that people have been living by for thousands of years and as a result we want to reorient ourselves back to truth in a really a post-Christian uh, culture who just doesn't have really any, not only even understanding for God's word, but even any value for it. Mm -hmm. So that being said, so then the question, what, what of sexuality for someone who's not married in a husband-wife relationship? And that would be, it's outside of God's design. And you can put anything in the blank. And so on the one hand, that it's clear, right? There's clarity to that. Even if it's a clarity that maybe some would not want, others would be frustrated by. But on the other hand, 
then what of singleness beyond even the sexual component or lack thereof in this case, what of singleness and what is its design? And I think that's where we kind of get into some good things biblically. The Bible has much to say on that as well. And even just beginning with some of the narratives that we're familiar with, we were just talking before we started today about the life of the Apostle Paul. And we read about other disciples, apostles, mm-hmm. Peter married, had a mother-in-law that Jesus healed. So it wasn't as though every follower in that sense of disciple apostle relationship was necessarily single, but Paul seemed to be. Mm-hmm. And in that relationship, the way that he um, had great freedom to go and do what God had called him to do, uh, the way that he had great camaraderie of people both in the local places where churches began and either those he traveled with. Um, He's a great narrative example of, uh, and we'll talk more even of what he said specifically to the Corinthians about some of the dynamics of singleness. But the point is, and then even to look at Jesus himself, right? Jesus, the ultimate example of everything of what we are to follow and admire and walk like. Well, one thing unique about Jesus, never married, we believe because he was sinless, also then not being married was never involved sexually so jesus is our example always of everything and in this case all we also is as well jesus's sexuality is something for us to look to as an example and obviously he models that idea of singleness yeah so we have some good things it's not just where like it's the absence of we actually have some biblical things we can look at well it's interesting too because you look at jesus and in his in his humanity as the God-man, he was complete yeah. in every way. Yeah. And that is so hard to get our brain around because we look at Genesis 1 and 2 and the design for marriage as the part that, in a sense, she, Eve, completed him. There was a partnership. There now was a, a joining together. And yet Christ, in his singleness, in his holiness, was complete. There was nothing lacking. He didn't experience less of humanity. And so that's such an interesting dynamic there. Yeah, for sure. And and before we were talking as well, understandably, that'd be one of the natural things that people would, would not just sense, but experience is that sense of, am I incomplete? I sure am lonely. At times I get that. And so trying to wrestle through, right, some of those kind of deeper questions rather than even just the practical realities of, you know, some unique different um, roles of responsibility. I think it's fascinating. We were talking about this as well before. If people who are married have some good friendships with people who are not, and the people who are in both cases, both those who are married living according to God's design, those who are single living according to God's design for their singleness, what a profound way to have a shared empathy, right? Because I think on the one hand, people who are single, who are living and walking with those who are married, realize there are some complexities, there are challenges, there are, there's a lot of selflessness that has to be demonstrated one to the other that um, is different for their role in a single lifestyle. However, conversely, for the married couple to go, man, there are dynamics about his or her life that um, I want to come alongside of them. I want to have more of even giving them more space in my life to connect with and have relationship. And I want to grow in an empathy, at least a sympathy for some of the challenges they face that I don't even understand totally. 
Well, and the life choices that each experience, sometimes you we, we don't appreciate that as much. Yeah. And I know for single people, I think they get in conversations at times and like, maybe I don't have something to say because a married couple might not might not think that they have the life experience to speak in it, but they have so much life experience, depending on the age of the single person, sure. where you can learn from and grow from. And that's a great perspective I didn't have that a married couple might never have that unless they're in those relational connections with folks in lots of stages of life. Yeah, and, and let's, let's state this because I think it's one of those potential elephants in the room. Most churches are oriented towards married couples and kids, to, mm-hmm. to families. And for good reason on the one hand, because that is many, not necessarily, and depends on the church, right? right? Demographically, it might not even be the majority. But that is a, a dynamic that is a true, consistent dynamic or dem- demographic group in a local church. But then what can easily happen as we keep talking about a marriage retreat and as we talk about ministry to children and families is that how rarely is there something not just even unique and specific for singles, even though that's a great thing too, but just generally for us Mm -hmm. as human beings. And we niche things so often that I feel like it would be very, very common to be a part of even a church like High Desert Church and just feel like, I feel like no one sees me, Yeah, you know, because everyone else has their thing, their ministry, their programs. And I just, I don't know where I fit. And I think that's important to state and even for us as pastors to go, how do we get better at that? Because we wouldn't want anyone in our church family to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy to silo ourselves mm-hmm. into those areas. And it probably is actually true for couples as well, where they, we believe they're fine, but if they're not connected in a relationship, they're siloed, as well as a single person who feels alone out there. Yeah, that, that bond, that pulling it together is so important. You know, I'm, I'm thinking through, you know, this this idea of singleness and we've walked through in the first two weeks of our series, God's design for marriage. What's God's design for singleness? You mentioned Paul yeah. earlier that there's some things that you kind of mentioned you, you think he kind of frames that for us. Yeah, I find it fascinating that it's actually in the same context of what we were looking at this weekend in 1 Corinthians 7. The chapter begins, right? He's talking to a church. Um, I was reflecting, we've been on different, you've been in Corinth many times. When I went, I wasn't actually with you on that trip. But just being at the um, in the city square and looking up to the mountain and realizing what went on up there. Yeah incredible decadence, the incredible just sinfulness that was celebrated and realizing if you lived in Corinth, you could never get out of the shadow of what was happening right above you on this mountaintop. And so this is the church that Paul is writing to who lives in this community and they have lived apart from Christ, right? They're pretty much their whole lives. Mm -hmm. And so now as they're coming to Christ and realizing what does it look like to live his way? He begins with, in your marriages, live this way. Don't live selfishly, but recognize that your spouse has an ownership over your body and you over there is unique from when you just owned, as it were. And he goes on to say, you don't own even own yourselves. Yeah. Christ owns you, but it's a unique relationship now. And it's important that you uh, maintain that ongoing intimacy with each other. But it's in that very same flow of conversation that he goes on to share a few different things. One is even the idea that when you come to Christ, 
that you not change your station or position somewhere, probably leaving spouses, because then he talks about the idea of if I'm married to an unbeliever, what do I do in that case? Very good practical questions that we in our church at High Desert Church struggles with today. We have folks that are trying to figure out some of the same things. But it's in this conversation uh, that he goes on and talks about then this idea of singleness. And this is kind of where he picks it up. It's in verse 32 of chapter 7. He says, I would like you to be free from concern as an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. And this is how he kind of like defines that, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. And what does that mean? How he can please his wife. And its interests are, his, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. And again, defines what that means, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way. And I love this phrase, in undivided devotion to the Lord. So, and, and he's going to make a point here in chapter seven, it's better. And I remember being in these conversations in college, and yeah. having great, you know, <laughs> what does it mean when Paul says it's better to be single? It didn't seem better to us. <laughs> yeah. And the gift, right? Yeah. Of singleness. Um, and, and what he's talking about, this is him fleshing mm -hmm. that out. It is better related to a lack of divided devotions. We would even say in our own experiences, not just when we got married, but then when we had kids, that continues the division. I have more and more people that not only look to me that I'm supposed to provide leadership and stability for, but those that I'm now concerned, rightly so, of their well-being. And so that kind of devotion that I could singularly yeah. give to the Lord now is, and, and Paul even says it, is rightly divided. Like he's not saying you're sinful somehow because right. you're caring well for your wife or caring for your kids. He's just saying, practically speaking, you, if you're undividedly devoted to God and you're married, that's a problem yeah. because you're not fulfilling those other roles. Mm -hmm. So conversely, he says, this is why it's better to be single because I can be. Here's the key though. If I'm a single person, am I? right? Just because I yeah. can be uniquely undividedly devoted to God, am I taking advantage of that? Yeah. It's interesting that culture, like you were mentioning the, the mountain outside of Corinth of that Acro Corinth and what happened up there were the, the prostitutes basically as an act of worship, worshiping the pagan gods, using sex as the way they're doing that. And it's interesting And Paul's writing there, I like what you're saying there. Hey, as an act of devotion, be pure. Yeah, it's the complete the flip opposite. of culture, yeah. and that's that devotion that it's a heart thing where you used to maybe you're doing this now do this change your heart as an act of devotion because what you thought was worship was actually broken and deeply hurtful and flawed and now I want you to live in purity which is actually going to let you live out the devotion in a holy way that's restorative and healing. I just love that that's because great. so often you have I, I, how do I even do this and it doesn't make sense and. But there's that devotion that's very practical, that purity of devotion yeah. that I think it was it would have been a, a crazy turn of events for the people in Corinth. Yeah. And in our society. Yeah. Probably not, equally so. We're not far from Corinth in no. a lot of ways. So yeah. But what a great point, Kurt, when you think about let's let's talk about someone um 
in our high desert, just mm-hmm. generally speaking, not married and living in any kind. We talked about this way, all of these things that are counterfeits to God's design. But if they were to say, God, I want to surrender and put all of my life at the feet of your cross, not just the parts I am willing to or wanting to. So that were to mean if I was cohabitating with mm-hmm. a guy or a girl, if I'm involved in and in having sex before I'm married, if I'm in a same-sex relationship, fill in the blank, anything outside of God's design. If I were to say, God, I am engaging in these things that are apart from your design, I actually want to completely invert that. And I want to live in such a way that is now, rather than devoted to things I think I'm going to find meaning and value in, or that are just very selfish, I want to devote my energies and my my life to what you say matters most. And so rather than living in a sense godlessly, in terms of mm-hmm. this design for sex, I want to live so godly in my new devotion to him. And I think how powerful would that be for people to make that kind of transformative shift in their life and then to go, God, what was once destructive in my life and in the lives of others now is actually being something that's so redemptive and so useful for your kingdom, which I think is what yeah. Paul was after. Well, and, this, and the outworking of that is fun too, because if someone who is living in a season of singleness actually at some point finds someone, God brings someone into their life and they get married, they now actually have been living that pure lifestyle. So the sexual expression is pure and it becomes pure in a marriage relationship. Exactly. They're already preparing themselves for the, to have a relationship with a spouse that's holy and acceptable to God as an act of worship yeah. and part of their obedience to how God wants them to live. So it's, it's, it's a beautiful preparation for that no matter at what stage of singleness, whether you're a 16-year-old high school person or a 35-year-old single individual, that whole world is preparing you yeah, in that. case God does something more like and bring someone into your life. And isn't it a great way to frame it to another way of saying what you just said? I can be God-honoring in this season of singleness and if I, if God ever allows me to be married, then I can be God honoring in that relationship too. And I'm not forfeiting one for the other, yeah. but they each have a God honoring way of living that out, living out that relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's so cool because I think as much as we rightly made yesterday, this weekend of God's design for sex within marriage, we, we would be, it'd be foolish to not talk about how I can honor God when I'm not married right? Because I still can just in a way that is again, honoring that design. And if I'm not in that relationship, I'm not going to be involved sexually as a result. Yeah. It, it transforms dating. It transforms marriages. It transforms singleness. Yeah. Um, maybe kind of processing that a little bit tighter. We're kind of wrapping up our thoughts. I just, that idea of singleness, some, there's a, that gift you mentioned of celibacy in the Bible. Um, it's, it seems like in our society in every society, it could be really difficult to accept that. What's the role of the church family to come alongside and provide community? How does that work in your mind? Yeah. And we were talking before today, even a little bit, maybe are there distinctions between singleness and celibacy? I think if you would even say at just even a real like 
clarifying definitive level obviously you could be single and be sexually involved mm -hmm. so singleness in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean that sexually i'm honoring god it just means i'm not married so celibacy would be that word that clarifies that says i'm i'm not married and in that i'm choosing to honor god by not being involved sexually in any form because that's what is my station as a single person. And, and again, we talked this last week even about the word chastity versus abstinence, mm -hmm. where there's celibacy has very much an idea of a willfulness and a volition. And, and like we said earlier, it may or may not be lifetime. It may be for whatever season I'm single and God brings in someone into my life that ends up in marriage that's great. And I was demonstrating chastity. I was demonstrating a celibacy during that season. For others, there actually may be a calling on their life. Like one of the things in this series that this bubbles up to the top, we'll spend hopefully a little more time this last, this third week in the series about what do I do if I'm someone who has a same sex attraction? Mm. And if we look at what we did this week, if God's design for sex is within the marriage covenant between a husband and a wife, well, now I have a problem because is my same-sex attraction allowable, permissible by God to be expressed even in a marriage? And we'd say biblically, no. Oh, yeah. So now I've got this real challenge. And for some, there have been even ministries developed to how do we help people move from same-sex attraction to heterosexual attraction. I think that's often failed. And I, and I think one of the biggest reasons it's failed is I'm not sure from scripture we can make a case that that has to be the end game. Now, let me say this, our resource list that we're um, promoting during this series, all kinds of great books, I was processing two of the male authors on that list, Christopher Ewan and Sam Allerberry, are both men who come from same-sex attraction lifestyles who have decided to say, God, as unto you, I, I'm not going to express that attraction in a relationship, so therefore I need to be celibate. That's their, their choice. And unless something were to change, I would assume that's a lifelong choice. Conversely, three female authors in our resource list all lived lesbian lifestyles came to christ as a result no longer walk that way and they write or they speak that they would have been content and didn't feel like they necessarily needed to become heterosexual to be pleasing to god they were just going to be celibate but there was a change in the mix and all three of them are now married and i know at least one or two of them have children and so that's a fascinating thing because I think what it demonstrates is it's not all going to be one way or another, that a same-sex person will necessarily exchange those attractions for those that are heterosexual and can honor God in that relationship with a mm -hmm. husband or a wife in the future. But also I believe very honoring to God is someone who would say, I have a same-sex attraction, but biblically speaking, there's no right way, no God honoring way for me to express that. express that. So this is this is then my choice. And so then on this idea of the church, what is the responsibility to those who are in a 
a mode of singleness, maybe a mode of, of long-term or lifelong celibacy. I love some of the writers I've read on this who say, hey, because that's now going to be a God-honoring decision, we need God's people to come alongside mm -hmm. and really be not just friends, not just even family, right? Mm -hmm. But I've even read a few authors who said, we need people who would actually come alongside, and this could be singles, marrieds, it doesn't matter, but a community of people, and it doesn't have to be 80, but it could be three or four, who would almost in the same way you'd make a marriage vow, you'd say, we're your people, a covenantal vow. Yeah. I'm. You can count on me, even for, I mean, obvious things of community, connection, feeling a sense of family, because there's gotta be, a processing of loss, right? Most people grow up with a sense of, I want to be married and be a parent someday. And if celibacy is my right course that God has for me, I'm not going to realize any of those. And that's hard. That is a, that is a thing we have to be very real about. But in that, that doesn't necessarily mean though that I can't be a part of a community, of a connected community, like a family is committed to one another, or that I can't even have that role of that kind of connection in other people's lives. For some, it might be their extended family, that might be yeah. enough, but others it would be, I need people who I can do life with. And so I love that author in particular who talked about making covenantal um, vows to one another of let's say a group of four people around this celibate single individual, we will be your people. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Well, and in the family world, so often if, a, if an individual with let's say a same sex attraction is part of a family that doesn't know Christ, yeah, they're like, well, what's the problem? Just live it out. And so sure. even in that environment, the own family support might not be there yeah. for them to live out their now their, their Christ honoring convictions and the, how much more so the church really needs to come alongside and be that that family that support that that just that um the life of christ to them yeah. because they're just going to feel alone and and that's the last thing that god would have for them absolutely um, because it, whenever you honor god it's it doesn't mean you're going to have all the people cheering you on we yeah. learned that from scripture most people who in the new testament honor god didn't end up well yeah. and they they live they face difficulties but that community, I mean, First John, the, John's writings have so much to do about this family, this, this brotherhood, you know, sisters and brothers living together and the support that's meant to be had in a local church from brothers and sisters in Christ. I think if that's not there, we really are, are we're dropping the ball as a church. Totally. And I really appreciated um, of the resource list, Sam Allerberry, we cited not only a book of his, but an article from mm -hmm. the Gospel Coalition, a great article. And it, I think the, the article's um, titled is Celibacy Cruel. What a, what a great, because yeah. that's what I think it's often an honest we question. feel, yeah. right? Yep. And he does such a great job of going through like five different, he said basically, yes, it is if, and he's taking kind of our cultural norms or where we would typically go, well, this person isn't going to be able to be involved sexually. And then processing that, well, if sex is this ultimate right and even ultimate expression of being human, well, then that is cruel, but that's not what biblically mm -hmm. we would understand the role of sex is. So therefore, no, it's not cruel. And he talks about, he just goes through five different points 
of how a, a biblical understanding of singleness and celibacy is not not only not cruel but is actually something that people can walk in God's grace and in great community. How, how is it that we often, the whole New Testament is written with this ongoing brother-sister language related to a father. It's, it's familial yeah, language all absolutely. the time, but yet we just fail sometimes to recognize it's not just words, it's concepts. We are meant to be each other's family, not just forever, but here on earth as well. Well, and it goes to that in Christ element. Like you said this weekend in your message, Todd, you know, our greatest identity is not our sex, it's our Savior. And the Savior is the one that bonds us together so that we can have this. And it's unnatural for the world. They look at us like, how come you guys are so close? You're all so different. Not even the area of sexuality, but everywhere. We're just different people. But the bond of Christ ties us together and to not express that to people in a world of singleness that sometimes feel on the outside, we're really missing it unless we join in to say, no, this is our family and we're gonna reflect the Savior to everyone. Yeah, amen. So that's that to me is a huge part of this conversation is we're, we're not suggesting that God's design for singleness is isolation and loneliness. We're suggesting God's design for singleness is a very robust part of a Christian community of brothers and sisters that really are committed to one another. And especially being that, I think, God-given or God-growing empathy towards the other's condition of how to be helpful, thoughtful, aware, prayerful. Showing that value, showing that belongingness that really speaks to the soul of everyone because that's what we want and that's what we're created. We're created for relationship. And maybe if there were more, if we as a church and other churches like HDC would really pay attention to that reality of singles and people who are living a life of God-honoring singleness and, and really move towards them, not away. It's amazing how something's so simple. I remember talking to a widow and she said, Todd, the hardest thing about going back to church is I don't have someone to sit with. Mm-hmm. And it's so simple and small, but I go, man, that's huge. And just something like that will be your people. Practical. We've always got a seat saved for you, whatever it is. If we will do things like that, I think it will communicate really what Jesus said. They will know you by your love. And it was a love for one another that he was talking about. And yeah, I I look at that and I go, man, God, how cool that we get to reflect this amazing Jesus love for one another in ways that are truly countercultural. Like you said, the body of Christ is so different as individuals from one another, but in Christ we're made one. And we have a great opportunity to show that in a powerful way. I love that. Well, thanks for today, Todd. And uh, so glad that you're with us today. Hope you enjoyed our time together and we will see you next time.